I believe every one of us is born with a life purpose. And when you connect with that purpose, you feel very passionate. And when you feel very passionate, you feel very powerful. And you keep being creative and expansive and growing. But when you're just surviving, you just move positions. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Medluck, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Dr. Dorothy. Dr. Dorothy, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're most welcome. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. I am an executive coach. I really work with folks in transition to support them getting through this transition in a way that they end up so much further ahead than they imagined. You know, folks go into transition from all kinds of places. Some are running away from something. Um, I help them stop running and let's take a look at where you want to go, how to get there strategically but also to expand far beyond what they imagined as their next step. So they don't go laterally that they fly wherever it is they want to fly into, they go there. Awesome. So how did you get into transitioning as your thing? My life has been one transition after another. <laughs> you know, I've Tell I've, me more. <laughs> <laughs> I quit very quick, quick summary. I was, um, raised in an orphanage. I was later adopted and raised in the housing projects of the inner city of Boston in Southie and South Boston. And um, my way out was I became a Catholic nun for a number of years. And when I left religious life, I moved to Manhattan, became an international airline stewardess. So I flew over William Wiles as an airline stewardess. And when I left flying, I moved to Connecticut, got married and had two babies. And um, and then was later divorced, became a single mother, got my master's, opened up a private practice and was terrified. How do you do that? I spoke to every right after graduation, spoke to every book club, synagogue, church, every place, women's groups, every place would let me in. Within three months, I was seeing 42 patients a week with a six month waiting list. And that lasted from almost 20 years till I left the country. And in the meantime, while I was doing that as just your I don't think I've ever been a traditional anything, but as I was doing a therapy practice, I started noticing patients showing up who had um, certain personalities were showing up with, with prostate cancer, other personalities were showing up with breast cancer, other personalities showing up with autoimmune disorders. And when I spoke to my friends or MDs, they said, oh, it's coincidental. I said, no, it's not. So I went and became certified in nine modalities of integrative healthcare. It took me a few years, but I did. And um then I started bringing a massage table into my office and pe people on my waiting list who heard about this said, teach us what you know while we're waiting to work with you. Long story short, I ended up opening up a four-year program in energy medicine, a method of energy medicine I created. And because I was now a pioneer in the United States, students were flying in from all over the country, Canada, Australia, and other places to study with me. And it was so profitable that, um, and my third and fourth year students, they were physicians, nurses, OTs, PTs, and some lay people, that the their work in the hospitals was so successful. Hospitals wanted to give me grants, so I opened up a nonprofit. So I went from being just this therapist doing this little class to somebody with all of these companies and dropped my baby off at Cornell. My daughter just graduated from Georgetown and 
drove home into this big home and like a good Irish girl bought a large glass of red wine to sit and say, okay, kiddo, where are you going to go with the rest of your life? And I realized I'm extremely successful and yet unhappy. And knowing that if you do that, you become physically ill. So before I finished that glass of wine, I called American Airlines, sent me a one-way ticket to Anguilla in the British West Indies, called an agent, said, put my house in the market, called my office, said, tell my patients, I'm leaving the country in three weeks, I'm moving to the Caribbean. Referred my patients out, left to move to the Caribbean for 10 years. And then eventually came back to America, closed all those companies, and I had a wonderful executive director running them all. And um, I reported in, I worked every day. It, this is pre-Zoom, worked every day, would call the states and do what needed to be done, and then go swimming and have some rum and hang out in line with my friends and go dancing. And when I came back to America, when I closed those companies, I became an executive coach. So um, there's been a few dozen and other little things in there, I just too much to talk about that. Um, yeah, so transition I know about. And <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because I, I know a bird of a feather when I see one. I go, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I, I got at what was it like growing up in an orphanage? Um, it's a very different story. It, you know, um, you're one of a crowd. You're one of a crowd. And then um, I was adopted by an Irish alcoholic policeman. And um, so living in the housing projects, you live in violence anyway, because every street corner has a different gang, you know, and going home was even more dangerous than being out in the streets, because you can learn to navigate the streets, you can't navigate a small apartment in the housing projects, especially when that's the norm in all of them, you know, because housing projects tend to have addictions as, as a major issue, right? right. And um, I wanted to go to college, but I'd never met a girl who had gone to college. And so I said, I'll go to nursing school. And then I found out I went to an unaccredited inner city high school. And so no nurse school in the country could accept me. So my only way out, they don't do the best for folks from the inner city and in this country. So my only way out was to, um, and I don't want to say that, that sounded desperate. I truly wanted to be of service. I wanted to make a difference in the world. And the best way that I knew how to do that was to become a religious who did social work. And so- Fair enough. I like it. So in these transitions, do you find that that adversity helps you to become more empathetic to the people that you were serving or more understanding of kind of what was going on or, or was it just kind of, okay, I'm going to leave that behind and move forward onto this? Oh, goodness, no. I, I really believe that when you make a life choice to live this journey and not survive it, and that's a huge difference, right? So many people are surviving this journey. When you make a choice to live it, there's something in you that comes alive. And through meditation, through prayer, through whatever your faith system is, when you learn to spend time in silence every day, you experience physically experience in your body the call for transformation and when you're at peace with yourself that call for transformation it just shows up when it's time it's like okay I've, I've done this it's I'm ready for the next step what's what's next in my life and some people just hold their nose in fear and walk in blindly my thought is more of what am I called to 
what feels right for me? And then how can I do that? Who do I know who's doing that, if anybody? And can I get a coach? Can I get a mentor? Can I get somebody to explain before I jump who can explain that to me? And then if they're wild and alive and vibrant, I don't want somebody sweet and kind and nice. I want somebody alive and vibrant and and yeah, with a huge heart, but but alive and vibrant. And can they help me go to that next level? And um, then I look and see what it is. It's like I do with my clients. So many of them will say to me, this is, this is where I am. I want to go here. And I said, what if I took you here? Oh God, I don't know if I can do that. Well, why? Because if you don't know you can do that because you've got 87 commitments, or you don't know that you can do that because you think you're not good enough or big enough or skilled enough, whatever the case may be, that's a different story. And now that's sweetheart, I'm going to lovingly, gently slap that right out of you because we're going to just tell you what is that next place. You know, my website says she holds she holds your heart while she kicks your ass, you know, um, because my clients would tell you they feel completely not judged for a single second, completely unconditionally loved and accepted without an ounce of judgment, no matter what they present. And I've heard some stories, but simultaneously, when they play inadequate, when they play inept, and they're trying to convince me how limited they are. Um, they said, boy, you did kick my ass on that one. But it's more of, let's do a reality check, sweetheart. You're you're very limited, whether, and I work with men and women, you know, you're very limited, you're incapable, you've never done anything right in your life, yet somehow you're the head surgeon at a major hospital in the United States. Tell me again how you did this. You slept your way to the top. Is that what happened here? Because you don't know anything, you know? Well, you have the nerves. You know what I've done? And then the list, I think, uh, that's what I thought. You've achieved a great deal. Damn, you're good. Yeah. It's just, you know, with all of this, for myself, for others, when it's time to jump, bring, bring the best of who you are. Your inadequacies, illusionary inadequacies, your illusionary limitations are going to go with you. But when I can support my people recognize their illusions, they're not realities. None of us can do everything. But most of us can do a heck of a lot more than we believe we can. I love it. Well, and one of the ways that I've explained this to my clients is they're so frozen that they're just happy to be thawed out. And it's like, yeah, but what if you were at, you know, sitting on the beaches in the Mediterranean or in the Caribbean where it's nice and warm and there's palm trees and doesn't that sound better than just thought out? <laughs> like, oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's where we want to go. This is awesome. So when it comes, I, first off, I have to ask, what was your phone bill like? Because <laughs> I'm going, that had to, I know when that was, and that had to be a fantastic $5 a minute for, get on the phone for eight hours, do your job. That had to be insane. It's good. I had a global Blackberry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair enough. So what was it like running a business without being kind of there in the, in the heat of it? Is there a way to be able to get the functionality done without getting into the chaos of the day-to-day -day operations? It, it There is. I mean, again, that's where, I mean, I truly do live in just jumping into life, but there's, 
you also have to be so grounded that you have systems, you have strategies, you have procedures to make things happen. And I had an amazing woman running my companies. I had two women, one woman for about four years and another woman for the rest of the time. And um, what I did is because my school met every two months, all day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every two months I would fly back to America. All right. And I would come in on Thursday night around nine, nine thirty and be a class Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then during the week, I would spend a day or two in my office with my with my staff. I had about 63 positions at the time on my payroll. And yet I had about nine full time staff members who were getting medical, dental, 401k match and all of that. Then I had numbers of 1099s. And so what I would do is meet with my team. And if I could, Wayne Dyer and I had the same agent here on the East Coast. So we may be booked to speak up and down the East Coast someplace if I could. I didn't have time to go further, you know. Um, and then I would teach Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'd go home Monday morning. But what I would do is when I called, they would fax me the bills. I paid all the bills. I always was in charge of the money. But we would discuss what has shown up since I was up there. You know, every two months I'd show up for a week. And what's going on? What do we need to do? Let's arrange an open house to promote next year's enrollment. And let's just keep this going. And because it was always word of mouth enrollment, but you never stop promoting. So I would, we'd plan all that out and we'd have the structure set up. And so when I went home again, we would just talk every day. What's going on? Is this been implemented? Is there any problems with this? What do we need to do here? How are supplies? What do we need to order? Let's keep things rolling. And um, it worked. It worked. You know, when, you, when you're clear, focused, and keeping it simple, we have an amazing ability to make things convoluted and complicated. That's not- uh, Entrepreneurs make things complicated? <laughs> my style you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, yeah so it works nice I love it so let's talk about people in transition and kind of what let's start with what are one of the biggest mistakes that they have other than underestimating their potential and abilities um frequently what they do is play it safe and if they work for somebody else they're not entrepreneurs themselves they work for somebody else um they don't like their job they're simply going to change company doing exactly the same job. Why would you do that? It isn't just the company you don't like. You don't like the job. Well, it's not that bad. Well, why are you going and leaving this to go to something that's not that bad? Why wouldn't you go to something you absolutely are excited about doing that calls you to grow, that calls you to become more of who you're meant to be? but also to develop more skills at whatever it is you're doing. I believe every one of us is born with a life purpose. And when you connect with that purpose, you feel very passionate. And when you feel very passionate, you feel very powerful. And you keep being creative and expansive and growing. But when you're just surviving, you just move positions. And my thought is, let's not do that. Let's get you alive and passionate. What do you think you're here to do? How are you here to make this world a better place? I don't care if that's selling jewelry. I don't care if that is hosting events. It doesn't matter what it is. What is it that you do? Having a store where you create products, 
whatever that is, if it feeds you, you're going to be happy and alive. And if you're happy and alive, you're going to be healthy emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and it's going to work for you. So um, in transition, when they're just doing these moves for the sake of moving, I think it's a huge mistake. In addition, um, some people move away from something versus this doesn't work for me. What do I want to go towards? And now we've got a conscious decision of what do I want to go towards versus I just don't want to get away. Um, sometimes it's forced on you. It's a divorce or you have your own company and it's shutting down. All right. Either way, you get a chance to recreate who you want to be as well as what you want to do going forward. And what does that look like for you? And some transitions are my company is this way, but I would love to develop multiple streams of income. All right. Let me sit with you. Let's figure out a way we can create multiple streams of income from what you're doing. But know that this person, this man or woman who has this company that's making 100, 150,000, who wants multiple streams to go into the seven figure bracket, this woman or man can't run that business. So you better become that person who can run that six, seven figure business. That's at a much higher level than where you are, which means you have to own a level of authority, a level of leadership and a level of expertise so that you're capable of leading that many more people. You're capable of teaching management. You're capable of seeing yourself in a dramatically different way because this person here can't do this, right? So for the person who thinks, one, I want to be able to transition from that corporate six-figure job and go, I can run my own seven-figure. There's just something in me that knows that I can do this. And then when I hear you talk about those things, I go, oh, but I don't have an education in management. Oh, but I don't have leadership skills. I've never really had my own team paid, you know, the bills myself. How do I take keep track of the accounting and all that kind of fun stuff? What is the, um, the first thing I guess somebody can do when there's this knowing? So their A to B is kind of feels short. And then all of a sudden when you start talking about it, it sounds like, oh, well, there's this actual big, huge loop that I got to go through before I get down to this. But again, it doesn't have to be this, this spiral down. Um, my thought is if you can afford it, hire a coach, not a coach who's going to tell you and, and nothing against coaches, obviously how hypocritical that would be, but not a coach who's never made more than $40,000 who's going to teach you how to make seven figures. All right. They may not have the skill set to do that. So if you want somebody who's going to teach you who's working in that arena. Okay. If you can't afford that, the score, you know, S-C-O-R-E, every city has them. Give score a call. They're retired executives who free of charge will work to support you understanding how to get a company started. And for free of charge, they will take you through and let you know about bookkeeping, let you know about accounting, let you know about product management, let you know about renting. You want to open up a bakery. There's, what are you going to do here? One third of your expenses goes into products. One third goes into rent. 
than other expenses. And one third goes into salaries. All right. So, and the rest is your profit. So how are you going to do that? And so get somebody who can teach you how to do that before you jump in. So while you're still at this job you don't like, use your evenings or weekends. Meet with somebody at SCORE or meet with somebody at some organization. I know here in Connecticut, the University of Hartford has an organization that is for entrepreneurs, classes you can take and how to become an entrepreneur. Learn, understand it, then go out and start your business. Um, don't go into naivete. My thought is I don't ever want to be naive again in my life, but I never want to lose my innocence. The innocence is that awe at the exquisiteness of life, at the beauty of a waterfall, at the exquisiteness of a newborn baby. I Tears come to my eyes. I don't ever want to lose that innocence and appreciation. But naivete is a different story altogether. And it's extremely naive to think I can go rent a building tomorrow and the whole world's going to start coming and buying my products or hiring me as their coach. No, they won't, sweetheart. If nobody even knows you're here, nobody's going to come and pay you a penny. So how are we going to set this up to get you started so that by the time you invest in a building, if that's the kind of storefront you're doing, or is going to call you to support them in coaching? What kind of speaking engagements are you doing so people know what you do? How are you getting out there to let people know you exist? Do those things beforehand and find somebody who can help you know what it is you need to do. Love it. So when somebody's working with you, are they taking that um, concept of an idea that they have and and turning it into a plan, a blueprint, a Gantt chart of this is what I need to do when? Or how does that... Um, come to fruition when they're working with you? Depending on most people who come to see me um, are already at a level where they're successful in their business. And they are, if they work for an organization, you know, a corporation or something, uh, they're making very good money and they're looking at where do I go next? What do I want to do next? And others that come to work with me are folks who either want to expand their business, they want to create multiple streams of income, or they want to leave what they're doing in the corporate world and begin opening up something as an entrepreneur. And then we sit down and look at what is your vision? Okay, this is your vision today. How do you see your vision growing? But before we even start, how do you see your vision growing? Because the fact is we're human. This vision is not going to make you happy forever. So what are you going to do when this vision becomes too small for you? What does that look like? Because if we already know what this vision looks like, we can prepare you so as you're going forward, you're moving towards this. All right. So I help them begin to work towards what that vision looks like. And let's start here, but always with the future in mind. So one client I just worked with recently, she was a project manager in corporate, wanted to open up Airbnbs. It's okay, how many, do you have any rental properties? Well, I have, I have a huge garage and there's an apartment up above. All right, let's start with that. It's a great way. There's no financial investment in terms of a building, 
but there's an investment into creating an apartment that somebody would want to pay to stay in up there. So how do we fix this up? Let's look at how you can fix it up and make it elegant. And then now that you've got it all fixed up, it's elegant. It cost about 10 grand to do everything that needed to be done. Now, how are we going to market this? I don't know. You live in a college town. Let's give all those colleges a call. Let them know this is here because parents want to come to visit their kids. We have sports weekends. People want to come. Then call the Rotary. They have events. They want people to come in and need a place to stay where they have a kitchen and a living room and a in a small area to in a bedroom, you know, in a small area to stay. And it could be beautiful. So let's do that because it's more personal than a hotel room. And now she wants to expand and get more places to buy an apartment building and turn them into much larger Airbnbs. So, all right, let's look at how you're going to do that. Where's that money coming from? Let's not put you into extreme debt. Let's plan this out. And so, yeah, and she's doing extremely well. Is actually opening um, up, a, actually opening up a bed and bed and um, breakfast and lunch restaurant at the moment. Nice. It, yeah. So it's like once you get started, it's fun, and you have the money to pay for the next without going into debt. <laughs> Very important transition step. Nice. So when it comes to people setting up multiple streams of income, I know a lot of people get worried that they're going to get distracted and that they're not keeping kind of their eye on the prize. How do you? run or how do you keep an eye on multiple streams of income yourself we don't, we don't start from one and go to 12. okay let's let's that sounds like a wonderful idea but let's do reality <laughs> reality says i'm doing one and if i'm doing this and i want to teach people to do what i do well then let's do that let's find five people you believe are qualified to learn how to do what you do so you can train them so that when you have too many people asking for your help, you've got people trained to do the things you can delegate. And so we now have increased your source of income because with them doing so much of it off your plate, you can bring in more clients than what you can service and the thing that is uniquely yours. Right. So we can increase it this way. And now that you've got people taking the paperwork off your shoulders, if you will, or taking the, the research or the grunt work off and you're doing more of the one to one. All right. Now you've got more ability, more people coming in. You're paying more people and they're really increasing for you that because you can delegate and you're overseeing still. And I'm teaching you how to oversee. I'm teaching you what you can delegate, what you can't delegate. And now that you've got more money coming in, how else do you want to do this? Hmm. I think in addition to that, what I would like to do is become a specialist out there. All right. And this is another client I worked with. She became a specialist and she now goes into court. She represents her industry when there were lawsuits. And so she goes into that. And once you do that, whether that's in education or in anything in education, so she can fly out to San Fran and represent a school system or fly to LA or fly to New York City. And so, okay, so now that's a whole other source of income. She's a specialist, but she has to be ready to own the fact that she's a specialist and can present an argument. All right, and do that. So now she's got this source of income, an expanded source over here. She still works one-on-one -on -one in the pieces that need her. 
to do the work she does. It's Let's look slowly and see what are you doing? How can we expand it? Not let's jump into everything because until you've got a solid foundation in this, you're not ready to expand and create another reputation over here because with you being gone, everything here is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get this running and running well. Now let's expand over here and we can do that. And we're going to do that only to the extent that you have the time. And when there's too much demand here, you increase your prices. So with, with that particular client, uh, it always fascinates me how they find that thing. Because if she had a calling towards being the expert in court, she may not have thought, hey, oh, I want to be an expert in court, especially if she's like, I'm, I'm not the specialist. I'm not going to go and say I'm the best in the world. You need to bring me into court to say that. So how, in this case, did she transition into that as a thing? Was there an aspect of it? Had she already been called a couple of times? What was the thing that made that happen? It's noticing in your industry, no matter what your industry is, it's important to keep up with what's going on in your industry. It's important to keep up with what's happening out there. And if you see that in my industry that people are being taken to court and they're looking for specialists, I want to volunteer because I believe in what, again, I'm living my purpose so I feel passionate about what I do and I feel powerful in my ability to do what it is I do. And now they need somebody over there to represent the client, to represent the student, represent the whatever. And I want to be somebody who can help represent that student and their perspective. And so therefore, I'm going to give that lawyer a call and say, hey, if you need an expert in this industry, I'm not, and I never said I am the best in the world. I will never tell you I am the best coach in the world. Who is that? That all depends on what you need. If you need somebody that's just cruel and abusive and making it happen, I'm the worst person in the world for you. You know, what do you need? Um, so it isn't, it isn't that she says she is the best in the world. She says she's an expert at this, which simply means I have this industry fully understood. And I know what the latest trends are. I know what's going on. I know what the needs are. And I truly want to represent this child in the best way. And I love it. Be there, yeah. Yeah, because I, I do think that a lot of people get caught up in how do you present yourself as an expert? And, and how does that translate kind of in day-to-day -day operations? So I guess what I'm saying is, how do you manage that image that that um, you want to use for the marketing to be able to come across to, to be able to support your influence and be able to back that up kind of from your mindset point of view to, so that it, um, so that it jives and <laughs> so, that, so that you're putting across that, the right influence in the marketing. Is that in English? The start is you have to absolutely believe you've got it. You have to, and I don't mean ego. Ego is a defensive ploy. People with huge egos are people who want to pretend they've got it all together. There's nobody on this planet who has it all together, right? We, we may have it more together than not, but nobody has it all together. So when you can be humble about this and know that I am really, really good at what I do, 
really good at what I do. I'm always learning. And those with huge egos are not always learning because they already know everything there is to know. But when I'm always learning, but I'm really good at what I do and you own it, it's easy when somebody challenges you. When somebody challenges you and you're trying to pretend you know what you're doing, you collapse, you don't know what to do, or you get angry and attack them, which is really a defensive move, all right? When you know what you're doing and people attack you, it's like, okay, that's an opinion. And you let it go. It's, an, it's, it's a non-issue. It's not a threat. I was once asked to go in, and this is after years of being a pioneer in integrative healthcare here in the United States. And I taught at UConn Medical School. I was co-chair of the advisory board of a multi-million dollar grant. I received grant funding from NIH for my own work and all of this. And I was asked to teach to a group of high school student teachers. Um, it was a teacher education day or something. So I went in to teach. They asked me to teach on energy and energy medicine. And one teacher in the back just kind of sat there, you know, and he said to me, what do you think about the third chakra? And I said, what is it you would want to know about it? And he said, so you can't give me something right away? I said, there's literally thousands of books written on it. Is there something specific? You, Yeah, I didn't think you knew what you were talking about. And I could have just said, do you know who I am? You know, <laughs> but I just said, well, well, thank God there's somebody like you who knows so much about it that you could answer any of the questions these people may have later. You know, now to continue on, what we were talking about is, right? So it's like, I'm not going to take you on, sweetheart. You know, I don't know how many books you've read that has made you a genius, but good for you. Go with that. You know, so it's it's just... When you when you know you know what you're talking about, nobody's going to throw you. When you know you have all the answers, you're in defense. But when you know you know what you're talking about, you've got it. And you can present yourself as an expert in your industry. Just don't ever present yourself as somebody who knows everything there is to know about your industry. <laughs> you'd be in a lot of trouble and there'd be a lot of things to know before you'd have to read all the books and then unlearn all the books in order to figure out what you don't already know. <laughs> so it, right. That's a recipe for disaster right there. Right. Yeah. So you can, that's what you can tell somebody who truly is good at what they do versus somebody who's wanting you to believe they're really good at what they do. I love it. So let's go through, what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having? They're listening to this right now going, Oh my God, Dorothy, I need you so badly. Yeah, so there are, they're successful. They're in a position. They're not happy with where they're at. What other kind of things are they going through? Oftentimes, because they're not happy with where they are, not only are they going into depression and anxiety, it's impacting their personal relationships. It's impacting the value of their work because they're not doing a really good job because they're not happy where they are. So the work is, I don't want to say mediocre, but it's not what it could be. Their relationships are not happy because their passion has been dying. <clears throat> when the passion is dying, you don't have it to bring into your relationships. You don't have it to bring into your parenting if you have children. And there's no creativity going on because they're surviving life. So to me, it's, are you willing to jump back into passion? Are you willing to jump back into your life? Are you willing to transform your personal relationships with others as well as with yourself? And are you willing to step back and take a look at why you're here? 
and what it is that would feed you going forward. Because just picking you up and moving you isn't going to do it. I want to pick you up, bring you back to you, expand all of that so that you fall in love with yourself and with life again. And now let's take that to the next, to the next place. So if they are ready to do that and not believe it's just as simply as calling another company or hiring one more employee and it's all going to be all better. No, it's not. No, it's not. Are you ready to do the work? Love it. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start that journey with you? Um, they can email me at Dorothy at askdrdorothy.com, A-S-K-D-R-D-O-R-O-T-H-Y. Go to my website, askdrdorothy.com. Perfect. We will, of course, have all of Dr. Dorothy's links in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down, click on the links, open them up in a new browser, of course, because we're not done yet. So I get to ask you, at what point in life did you know you're special kind of crazy enough to think that you can become an entrepreneur? Oh, my God. Um, When I was in my 30s, I was divorced after 15 years with a kindergarten and a fourth grader. And I thought I need to support my babies and I'm not somebody who's made to work at organizations. You know, again, I had been a religious life. I had been an international airline stewardess. And at one point they wanted us to get out and pick it. And I thought, oh, you're out of your damn mind. There's not a chance in Hades. I'm going to be doing that. And then they, um, then I got a job for a little bit for about a year with an insurance company and realized this, no, this isn't me. And so that when my babies, um, when, when, when I was divorced, I realized I, I need to do what I love to do. And I'd love to support people coming alive. And so um, one of my professors in grad school had said to me, I'm opening up a practice. Um, it was a psychiatrist. He said, I'm opening up a group practice. You're a born therapist. I'd love you to join me. And so I joined that practice and after about three years, we paid him one third of our, our income and that paid for the receptionist, it paid for the rent, it paid for all the expenses and supervision and everything else. And I realized I'm the highest producer in this place. I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars a year to this man. This doesn't make a damn bit of sense to me. And I talked to one of the other persons and my girlfriend who was in the, in the group and said, Hey, do you want to go out on our own? She said, Oh my God, we'll never make it. We'll never make it. We won't have any clients. We won't have insurance coverage. We won't be able to do anything. It's not going to work. It took me about six months. And she finally said, all right, already let's go. And so we moved out, rented an office down the road and set up. I said, okay, Barb, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create invoices, the same kind of invoices we had over there. We'll give them to our clients. They can submit it to their insurance companies. We're licensed. We're doing everything right. We're licensed by the state. We're licensed by our associations. We got this made in the shade. And once we got our first insurance reimbursement, she said, oh, my God. And that first year, we increased our income by 33%. And nice. after that, it just took off. After that, I thought, damn, this is a good deal. And that was it. I was I was hooked absolutely hooked and it worked and that's where I've been ever since. 
you have been absolutely awesome i could talk to you all day i know it but i won't (laughs) keep you that long any last words for our peeps um live your life do not survive this journey it is so quick it goes so fast you know in my mind's eye i am still 42 43 in there i will be that until the day i pass and this is the way it's going to be you know but my, I, I'm fully aware that, no, every, I may age, but I'll never get old. But it goes so fast. Live this life fully. Don't survive it. Um, jump into the journey you want. Don't settle for where you landed. Keep growing and expanding. And with that, who you are keeps growing and expanding. And what you're doing in the world keeps growing and expanding. Where it's what it, This is a fun journey. It's, it's not meant to be something we survive. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's so nice to spend time with you. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.